Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Peter Main Radio here by the good friend Bill Mitchell, the host and creator of Your Voice Radio, currently the number one political talk show on Spreaker.com. His show airs Sunday through Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. And he has unique and entertaining co-hosts nightly and nationally known guests such as Katrina Pearson, Diamond and Silk and Juanita Broderick. He is, I think, as of yesterday, Twitter verified, has over 70,000 followers all in the room behind him. And he receives over 40 million <laughs> impressions a month uh, and uh, he is to put it mildly an enthusiastic supporter of the trump pence 2016 ticket believe strongly that this is the talented team which will win back the white house and make america great again if you want to follow bill which i highly recommend you can go to uh, twitter.com slash mitchell the seventh mitchell vii for those who uh, i guess are somewhat younger and your voice radio <laughs> which you can go at yourvoiceradio.com uh, thanks for taking the time today bill Thank you. It's great to see you as always. So, so I'm having Dungeons and Dragons flashbacks, um, which, you know, yeah. this is my geek cred plus five. But uh, when we started to talk about polling data and, you, and you, you're talking right. about how, you know, well, you can make anything look great with D plus 16 and so on. And of course, there are a number of people freaking out about the fact that Hillary seems to be uh, surging ahead more reliably than she climbs a set of stairs. And uh, I think people are feeling a little nervous about what's coming out of the poll uh, data, or at least some of the polling data. And yeah. you've done quite a thorough analysis right. of, uh, let's just say, some potential biases uh, in these uh, polls. I wonder if you can help people understand what might be going on under the hood to make that strange squeaking sound, which you can never reproduce when you take it to the mechanic. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that people need to understand, uh, first of all, is that uh, since 2012, the electorate has become much more uh, independent than they were in 2012. The Gallup does a regular study where they call thousands and thousands of people, much larger than the typical polling sample, just to determine party ID. They're not calling to ask who you're voting for. They're just saying, who, which party do you identify with? Now, party ID is much different than party registration. Quite often, uh, party registration will lean heavily towards Democrats. And yet, if you ask people their ID, they either say, well, I'm independent or I'm a Republican. They might not say they're Democrats because they don't agree with them anymore. They just have a hassle with changing their party registration over. So, But uh, anyway, according to Gallup, the most recent reading is 29% Republicans, 29% Democrats, and 42% Independent. And I would challenge you to find a single poll out there by these media pollsters that is anywhere remotely close to that. I'll give you some examples. Uh, YouGov Economist just came out with a new poll, and they had Hillary winning by six points. And you think, oh, you know, that's not good. Even after the last couple of weeks with Trump giving these fabulous speeches and, uh, you know, uh, we're getting a lot of big rally support and tremendous social media presence, how can Hillary still be ahead by six points? Well, if you look at the sample, the sample was what I call on Twitter D plus 16, meaning they had 16 points more Democrats in the polls than Republicans. Now, now what sorry does that to interrupt, mean? but, but, but that yeah. seems to be something that you should normalize for. It should be. It should be something that you normalize for, yeah. And uh, they don't. And you see this happening consistently and polling over and over again. You always have D plus 7, D plus 10, D plus 12, D plus 16. And it makes no sense. I mean, you even have states that are supposed to be like an R plus 2 state, and the state poll comes out with a D plus 7 sample. And you say to yourself, well, maybe this is just who's answering the phone when they call. But the question is, 
if the electorate is truly 29, 29, and 42, how is it that you always have a D-plus sample and you never have an R-plus sample? On a statistical basis, you should get points on either side of that mean, and you just never do. And uh, to give a clear-cut example of, of what difference this makes, in Indiana, Monmouth did a poll, a very small sample poll, about 400 people. And in that poll, uh, Indiana, first of all, is an R-plus-6 state, meaning it leans right. In the Monmouth poll, they actually had an R plus 13 sample, which was, I was shocked. It's like, wow, <laughs> you mean they came out with a, a they oversampled Republicans in the state. And so that was a, um, basically um, an R plus seven sample above what it should be. And Donald Trump came out being ahead by 11 points in that poll. So for the folks that say that, you know, overweighting Democrats or overweighting Republicans doesn't make a difference, it does. Because I don't think uh, Donald Trump is 11 points ahead in Indiana. Okay, but the poll makes it look that way because you oversampled Republicans. And we just had a brand new poll that came out uh, the other day, and uh, the name of it slips my mind off the top of my head. But anyway, brand new poll, big sample, 1,400 likely voters, and the sample was as close to accurate as I've seen. It was 34% Democrats, 33% Republicans, and 33% Independents. And this poll, Donald Trump is ahead by six points. Well, I mean, particularly over the t last two weeks, uh, Trump has given some pretty three pretty powerful speeches, and Hillary speeches, appears yeah. to be yeah, Hillary appears to be putting her feet up and I don't know, getting cucumbers on her eyes and ice packs on her forehead. <laughs> uh, and what are we uh, like? Uh, two hundred and fifty plus days since her press conference and so on. So yeah, you would think you know people give speeches and talk to people because it affects the outcomes. And just over the last two weeks, you'd expect to see even a tiny budge, uh, just given Trump's activity. Yeah. Well, look at what's happening today. Trump is going down to flood ravaged Louisiana. Obama is playing golf and Hillary is uh, taking a nap. I'm not sure what she's doing. I mean, the optics are terrible there. Trump is taking a tremendous opportunity. And now if Hillary reaches out to Louisiana, uh, she's going to look like she's me tooing what Trump did. As a matter of well, fact, we all remember just, uh, what we all remember what happened with um George uh, W. Bush with regards to Katrina, that he took his time to get there, and uh, right. that really seemed to hurt him in the eyes of the media. Not visiting a disaster zone is particularly catastrophic. Well, oh, unless it's a Democrat, in which case it's right. not to be spoken of. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on the Me Too thing, Donald Trump gave his law and order speech, okay? And what does Hillary do the next day? She goes out and meets with a bunch of police, you know. I mean, this is what happened in the primaries. The Donald Trump led the way. He led the way on every single issue. And everybody else ended up me-tooing him. And right now, Hillary is ended up me-tooing Trump because Trump is the bold leader. He's setting the standard. And she's just sort of trying to play catch-up. Um, I mean, if you look at the polling right after the debates, if you believe these oversampled polls, Hillary was up by, you know, 10 plus, 15 plus points. It looked like she was running away with it. We now have five polls where the uh, election is tied statistically and one where Trump is actually ahead. As a matter of fact, the USC poll just had uh, Trump's support amongst African-Americans increased by 500% over it was it was just two weeks ago. So something is really happening out there. And I think the Hillary camp uh, should be very afraid. 
Well, and I've certainly talked to um, some uh, black uh, voters uh, on my show. And, of course, yeah. uh, a, you know, we, we see this portrayal of black voters. You know, they're going to vote Democrat. You know, they want free stuff and so on. That is not the case for a no. significant proportion of the black population no. who want independence, who want jobs, who want better neighborhoods. And I think Trump's speech uh, regarding uh, security, law and order and so on, uh, I think is really resonating with uh, members of that community. I agree. And if what the USC poll says is true, that Trump is now at about 15 percent support with the black community, all it's going to take is for him to gain a certain amount of uh, acceptability in that community. And those numbers are going to climb because I think there's a lot of peer pressure in the black community for anyone to stand up and say, I'm for Trump because they've all been Democrat for so long. But when you have 15 percent, you have a lot of leaders out there like uh, Pastor Daryl Scott, like um, Diamond and Silk, okay, when you have these folks out there and they're saying, yeah, it's okay to vote for Trump, then that peer pressure releases a little bit. And I think that you could have a real search for Trump amongst African-Americans, amongst Hispanics, amongst Asians, amongst all the minority groups. The media is, um, uh, there seems to be some effort uh, in the media to uh, equate Romney with Trump. Right. Uh, that there's some sort of similarities. Uh, I don't particularly right. see it. Uh, R- Romney was like, okay, well, we've got the guy. He'll look good on a postage stamp. He's got nice hair. Right. And, you know, he says mostly the right things. We can hold our nose uh, and yeah. ignore the fact that he Im- basically implemented Obamacare in Massachusetts. You know, his Republican bona fides are not particularly strong, but he's kind of the best, you know. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's 2 a.m. and you've got your right. beer goggles on and yeah. <laughs> the, the bar, the woman at the bar is looking kind of pretty. It's not uh, the same. Romney was not pulling the kind of enthusiasm uh, and excitement exactly. from the Republican and non-Republican and, and undecided base. And I think that's really, really different. As you have pointed out, 2012, Romney got 158,000 uh, and change in right. the VA primary against one person. 2016, yeah. Trump gets 356,000 against 13 people. The level of focus and enthusiasm for Trump is nothing close to what I recall from Romney. Yeah, exactly. And the media has a game they play. I call it the, you're not allowed to think that way game, okay? And what they do is, they try to take something, that a point that you're trying to make, okay? And they try to uh, uh, isolate it and uh, alienate it and give it a label. So they say, you're not allowed to think that way. And the thing they're doing now is they're saying, well, you're not allowed to argue against polling methodology now because you did that same argument in 2012 and Romney lost. Therefore, it's no longer valid. Well, if you make that argument, then you're arguing that everything else that happened in the election, all the other difference between Romney and uh, Trump don't exist. And there are tremendously big differences. I mean, Trump says, I am your voice. Romney said, what would you like me to say to you? <laughs> what would you like me to do to pander to this particular group today? So it's just, it's completely different. The enthusiasm for Trump is uh, completely off the charts. And they're just, you know, people were just kind of tolerating Romney. There wasn't any energy for him. There is, uh, I think, a fascinating approach that Trump is taking uh, at the moment to, to at least some degree, Bill, which is uh, this idea that, um, you know, that old saying that uh, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again right, and right. expect a different result. And, right. you know, having gritted my teeth and watched uh, Hillary's uh, speech uh, uh, at the DNC, yeah. 
it's kind of more of the same. You know, it's touchy-feely. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we're going to help people in need. And it's the parade of endless Democrat victims to make some case that doesn't make a lot of empirical or rational sense, but appeals to your yeah. girly sensibilities and so on. But uh, Trump is basically saying, well, we have to do something different. And um, if you want more of the same, then go with the Democrats. But even if you don't agree with what I'm all about, at least I'm going to be doing something different. So we'll get a different kind of outcome. And I think that sense right. that... If the country continues on its current path, uh, disaster is mathematically inevitable and not that far off. You know, it's not this hazy decades away. Right. right. So we need to change course. And I think that is a very strong appeal to obviously the, the large uh, chunk of independence. The reason they're not Democrats is they don't like the Democrat approach. The reason they're not Republicans is they don't like the Republican approach. On the plus side, neither the Republicans, uh, the, the sort of Republican establishment, nor the Democrats like Trump, which I think is part of this roll the dice with me appeal to the independents. Right. Yeah. Well, independents have always been the pragmatic solutions group. They're not not ideologues. OK, they're not far right. They're not far left. One of the things I t- said on Twitter a while ago was that America is about 20 percent far right, 20 percent far left and 60 percent. They just want to make America great again. And Trump really appeals to that 60 uh, percent. Another thing that we were talking about uh, on Twitter is that everybody wants to compare this election to 2012, but they should really compare it to 2008. Because if you look at 2008, uh, Trump is Obama and Hillary is McCain. You know, Trump is the change agent in this election. This is a change election. Okay, Hillary is the establishment status quo candidate in this election, just like McCain. So, I mean, look what happened uh, in 2008. So what happens is that you'll notice in a lot of these polls, you look at, okay, Hillary's numbers plus uh, Trump's numbers, and it doesn't add up to 100%. Well, what are all these undecideds doing? Well, what's going to happen? And when you have a change election, when you get to November 8th, those undecideds that actually go out and vote, they tend to say, well, you know what? I'm not sure either way, but I think we're going to roll the dice on the new guy because I don't like what the old ways looks like. So you get a lot of people late moving towards Trump right before the election. That's my opinion. And here's here's a, something that I thought of, Bill. T- tell me what you think. It's um, sure. it's kind of an interesting approach, and and I think it has some value. I was thinking about the last U.S. presidential candidate where I understood what they did for a living. And right. you kind of got to go way back, right? I mean, Hillary yeah. has been in politics and and all of that for decades. It yeah. doesn't really know. I mean, the, the Clinton Foundation. Yeah. Who knows, right? Yeah. Uh, George uh, W. Bush, uh, something in oil plus the Bush name and uh, his father, a fighter pilot way back. And then some board of something here and there, some advisory here and there. I didn't know what it was with Romney. Well, he buys and sells companies and he breaks them up and sells. I I don't know. It just seems vaguely Gordon Gecko and so on. Now, Reagan... Everyone knew what he did for a living. He right, acted right. with chimpanzees and he, you know, he, he had a job that people kind of understood. Yeah. And yeah. with Trump, this is the first candidate in forever and the one, the, the first candidate that I can remember at all who does something tangible, builds places people go into. And right. there's a, I think that there's a pragmatism that is based in that kind of personality. I mean, the guy's smart enough. Uh, he tests uh, statistically as a genius. He could have gone and done anything. He could have gone into finance. He could have become some hedge fund trader, some derivatives right. uh, gobbledygook wizard head. But he went into making stuff that has a bottom, a middle, and a roof. And and, and people kind of understand that. And I think that they're getting this pragmatism that you have in that kind of hands-on business that has been absent for American politics for as long as I can remember anyway. 
Yeah, I think that this is really an election looking for results. You know, people are tired of uh, the, you know, we had the Tea Party movement that got started. And in that, you know, we gave the Republicans the House of Representatives and we got no results. And then because they said, well, we don't have the Senate and the Senate's blocking us. So just give us a Senate. We gave them the Senate and it got worse. So I think that really um, the uh, never Trumpers wonder how in the world did a guy like Donald Trump win the nomination? And I'm like, you created him. Okay, you created him by promising and promising and never delivering. You know, you ran on conservative principles and then you got to the House and then the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, rubber stamps everything that Barack Obama wants to do. You know, and we just got tired of that. And we said, OK, we've got a new movement here. And the thing is, people don't realize Donald Trump is not the movement. Donald Trump is riding the wave of the movement. The movement is an anti-establishment. We just want stuff to work. You know, we want to make America great again. We want to be proud of our country. We don't, we don't want to stop being embarrassed constantly by our president on an international basis. We want good jobs. You know, mentioning jobs, it's interesting that we had this good jobs report the other day, 250,000 or whatever. And people don't realize this. When they measure those jobs, they count a part-time job exactly like they count a full-time job. So the way Obama creates jobs, and I'm not kidding, is he creates Obamacare and you have your full-time job, okay? You get fired from your full-time job because your employer can't afford the Obamacare rates. And then you have to go out and get three part-time jobs to make the income you had on your full-time job, plus you have to pay your health care yourself because part-time jobs don't pay benefits. But according to the uh, statistics, Obama just created two new jobs. You lost one, you gained three, that's two new jobs. And so people are tired of that. They're tired of the flim-flam. They just want results. And they look at a guy like Trump, and it's like, yeah, you know, I can see he, he makes big, beautiful buildings. He redid the entire skyline of New York. I mean, he did he did The Apprentice, which was a top show for many years. The guy gets results. And I think that's what America is looking for right now. And the sense of betrayal of the Republican base with regards to the yeah. Tea Party. I mean, the amount of, of sweat and human capital door to door knocking donations to right. achieve those Tea Party victories in the face of fairly significant opposition from just about everyone in the media the IRS to some degree and so on. The, the amount of effort that people put in um, did create a huge well of expectations. Like we did all of this, we gave you the votes, we got you in, now it's time for you to do the job we sent you there for. Right. And the amount of frustration that came out of when the Tea Party candidates, a lot of them just seemed to go to Washington and say, oh, there's a trough, let me stick my head in it <laughs> up to my shoulders. Yeah. And that was really exactly. frustrating for a lot of people. And that created the hunger. And, and Donald Trump is perfectly aware of this. He's been following Republican politics for 40, 50 years. Uh, he knew the amount of frustration with uh, broken promises, broken commitments from the Republicans and this kowtowing to the media and the Democrats. And um, when he came out swinging, when he came out um, not politically correct, that, of course, mm -hmm. was speaking directly to those um, uh, huge expectations and frustrations in the base, because I think a lot of Republicans feel the Tea Party candidates went to Washington and became afraid of the media, became afraid of being called racist, became afraid of being called mm -hmm. whatever, and then kowtowed. So I think that they viewed political correctness, uh, as a lot of people view in American campuses and elsewhere, political correctness was the big problem. And so yeah. at the very beginning, when, when um, Megyn Kelly was hammering him about his statements about women, uh, and uh, he says, uh, I don't have time to be politically correct. A lot of right. people on the left didn't. Why is he bringing that up? It's like, well, no, because I think a lot of Republicans felt that 
the uh, Tea Party revolution failed because of fears of being politically incorrect. So when Donald Trump says, I'm not going to worry about political correctness, it's a huge red button in the motivation engines of the Republican base. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of my father when I was a kid. Uh, my dad was a big gardener. He loved to garden. And we had all these beautiful apple trees in the backyard. And at the end of the season every year, he would go out and he would trim the apple trees back almost to basically just the bare stalk in the middle. And I remember asking him, Dad, why are you killing the trees? And he goes, no, I'm not killing the trees. What I'm doing is I'm cutting off all the extra branches so that next year when the apples grow, the energy of the tree will go into the apples and not into the branches. And this is what Donald Trump has done with the Republican Party. During the primaries, he was pruning off all of the dead branches. You know, all the branches that were sucking the life out of the party. And now in the general election, he's set it up so that it can be springtime and the apples can come out and the energy of the tree can go into the fruit and not into the uh, not into the branches. So there's there's just something really dramatic that is happening here. And if people thought that overcoming 30 years of uh, GOP movement towards the establishment, 30 years of a Democrat dissembling, okay, and becoming more and more liberal. If people thought they could, we could overcome that easily, they were deluding themselves. I mean, it is miraculous where we are to this point. And I think, in my opinion, it's just going to get better from here. Donald Trump, during his speech in North Carolina last night, did something the Democrats wished he would never do. He, he played the humility card, okay? He said, I regret if anything that I said uh, hurt people individually. He played the humility card. And of course, the media that's been begging for him to show some humility comes out and says, he doesn't mean it. <laughs> you know? So it's just, it's just funny. So what Donald Trump is doing right now is he's, he's uh, uh, completing what I call a redemption curve. Okay. A redemption curve is a literary device where the, uh, the main person in the story goes from being the rascal to being the hero at the end. Examples of this, Han Solo, Jack Sparrow. Okay, they go from being the pirate to being the hero. He goes from can, being can I just the throw smuggler? in something too? Because yeah, I went to theater school. Uh, Henry V in Shakespeare starts off being right. a rogue, hanging out with Falstaff, and ends up right. being a uh, a noble king. Right, exactly. And this is something that Donald Trump is doing perfectly. And he realizes that what happens is that if Donald Trump has started out as just the perfect candidate, people would be bored by now. But now they're like, wow, he's changing. He's growing. You know, they find themselves rooting for his redemption. And I think that uh, he's a man who knows how to peak just at the right time. They argue that he would never get 1,238 delegates. He got, you know, 1,500 and something. So the man knows how to peak. And I think that just when we get into the last month before this election, Donald Trump is going to be at full galactic superhero level. And, uh, you know, people are going to be cheering. So we'll see. Well, I mean, people under if you people haven't been entrepreneurs, they underestimate the degree to which being an entrepreneur is being a storyteller. And yeah. his command of storytelling, um, to me, it rivals uh, some of the greats, uh, such as Steve Jobs and so on, who had a vision so compelling that he would invite you into this fantasy castle and you'd just take up residence, pay rent and sleep soundly under these uh, cloudy walls. And so I think that he is a great storyteller. Uh, and yeah. part of the art of a deal and part of uh, coming along bigger than uh, life and coming along with, with a story arc is part of being an entrepreneur. And um, so right. he's not written film scripts, but he sure knows how to tell a story. And I don't mean to diminish what he's saying by saying he knows how to tell a story because it matters what the story is. 
Uh, you know, the Democrats have a story, you know, uh, well, you groups are all helpless victims. Without the power of the state, you're going to be exploited and pillaged and have nothing. And there's a story there around helplessness and dependence. Uh, I think that Donald Trump's story uh, is, uh, I guess, a little bit more respectful to the body politic as a whole, to <laughs> put it mildly. And I think that's something that people uh, don't uh, particularly understand that is very compelling. Another thing that I find odd, which you've also pointed out in what I will remind listeners again is an excellent Twitter feed. Uh, you've I pointed do. out that all the people who said Donald Trump was a joke candidate, he never had a chance, yeah. he wasn't going to make it uh, anywhere, he was going to drop out, it was all just a publicity stunt and so on. People who were spectacularly wrong about yeah. Donald Trump and his uh, capacities and his resonance with the American people. Yeah, People think that those people are just wrong about Donald Trump, but they're not. They're not wrong about Donald Trump. They're wrong about the American people. They're right. wrong about the American people. Donald Trump, as you say, he's a statue cast by the desires. He's the shadow of the statue cast by the desires of the people. And so to be that spectacularly wrong in your analysis of the preferences and needs and frustrations and desires of the American people means that you're out of touch with the people. You've been looking inwards uh, in, in, uh, the, um, uh, in the Washington, D.C. biosphere. You've been looking inwards the right. whole time. You're not out with the folks. And, of course, Donald Trump in his whole business is constantly working with people of all walks of life. Right. And according to his kids, prefers the company of uh, people who make uh, buildings rather than people who make phone calls. And um, – I think that spectacular wrongness, which is yeah. not accounted for or corrected for, hey, we all make mistakes, but you've got to circle back, account for them and correct for them and, and figure out how you made the mistake and figure out how to do better. Right. But the, 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 the pundits are just kind of marching on, having been so spectacularly wrong, and now they expect people to find them completely credible when they say uh, Hillary Clinton has a lock. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean... Now, Larry Sabato is, is, you know, sort of beclowning himself on Fox News the last couple of days, uh, showing this map where Hillary has already won the election. It's over. I mean, we even have, haven't even had the first debate yet. I mean, Trump hasn't spent the first dime on advertising yet. It's just it's just hilarious. But, you know, this whole thing with Democrats and Republicans reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, the lowest level needs is survival needs. OK, and the highest level needs are self-actualization. And here's the thing is that uh, Democrats appeal to survival needs, okay? Uh, give up your freedom and I will give you health care. I'll feed you, you know, I'll make, I'll make sure that you're safe or at least reasonably safe, okay? The survival needs. Trump is appealing to the self-actualization needs. You know, and this is what he means when he says, I am your voice. He makes average everyday folks, okay? Regular Joe the jackhammer operator and Susie Homemaker feel like they have a voice now. That's self-actualization. And when you tell, tap into self-actualization, that is the deepest, most emotional emotional motivation that you can find, okay? Much more emotional, much deeper than just basic, simple survival uh, needs. So that's why Trump's support is building, because if Trump can make people not believe in him, but believe in themselves again, they are gonna vote for that guy. And they, they tell you in sales all the time. And I tell people, I've been a headhunter for 30 years. I'm like, if you want that employer to like you, make them like themselves when they're with you and they will like you. And this is what Donald Trump is doing. He's making the American people like themselves again with they're with them. And that's why he's going to win. There is a desperate hunger for pride uh, not just in yeah. America, but he's he's actually expanded it to Western culture as a whole. For the right. past 50-odd years, uh, all of this cultural Marxism has been taking one 
giant slow dump all over yeah. some of the glories right. of Western culture. Yeah, Western culture has its challenges, but uh, I'll go with the Lizard King. The West is the best as far as what yeah. human beings has uh, ha- have produced. And the problem with, with the lefty approach is they have to get a whole bunch of people to believe that the system that they live under is unjust, racist, sexist, homophobic, evil, exploitive, right. manipulative, you, you name it. They have to convince people that they face these shadowy demons of prejudice that are forever going to keep them ground down unless the Democrats or the lefties ride in with their swords and their right. you know government right. power. That, of course, appeals to... It appeals to the worst in people, appeals to their sense of victimhood, uh, appeals to their sense of uh, being ground under or plowed under by a giant combine harvester of injustice that they have no power to control or fight back against. It also creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, like Henry Ford said years ago, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right, because it creates an uninvolvement and a negativity towards potential, towards uh, being able to achieve things. And the on the other side, of course, to have victims, you must always have exploiters. And right. the damage that is done to the victims is key when we look at this now near permanent unclass of welfare victims and people who are on disability insurance with no particular hope of getting off and people who are medicated with these terrible brain-altering SSRIs. I mean, the, the, the victim class damage is pretty clear to those who have eyes right. to see, but the damage to the pride of the class that is generally portrayed as the villains, uh, you know, white males or whatever it's going to be, like the, 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 the damage to the the self-esteem to the to the happiness to the sense of pride of the of, of the groups that are always cast as the villains is mm-hmm. palpable and I think powerful and I think people are very tired of that. So when this phrase "Make America Great Again," it will make it great for the people that have been traditionally cast in, as the victims and the, and the helpless pawns mm-hmm. of capitalist exploitation. But I think this hunger for I'm tired of being told I'm a bad guy. I'm tired of being told right. it's a bad system. I'm tired of being told I'm an exploiter. I'm sick and tired of being told that I'm evil for breathing. And here Donald Trump comes along and says there's greatness in our culture. There's greatness in our vision. There's greatness in our institutions if we tame them uh, in ways that the original founders of the republic intended. Uh, there's greatness in our opportunities Yes. That, I think, speaks to – it's not make America great again like some abstract entity. It's I invite you back into a world where we can all have pride together in the institutions we've inherited and work to improve them without calling huge classes of people downright nasty. Right. Yeah, I agree with you uh, completely. It's it's just a matter of uh, uh, self-esteem that when people feel good about themselves when they're with you – uh, they're going to want to be with you. I mean, it's just it's just natural. And I think that uh, one of the uh, barriers that Trump has had to actually achieving that was his um, aggressive personality, you know. And I think that he's toning that down now. Even though he said he wouldn't, he's doing it, okay? He's toning that down now. His last couple of speeches have been very presidential, okay? His his uh, speech at the uh, uh, in, in Charlotte, I go so far as calling it thoughtful, I mean, and his, his his approach, and this is going to appeal very strongly to women who have been resisting him. Trump has always done very well with men, but women don't appeal. Women like an alpha male, but they don't like an overly aggressive alpha male. They don't want someone who they think is mean. Okay, but if Trump can come across as thoughtful, 
in kind and speaking in uh, normal tones as far as they're concerned, this is going to appeal to a whole new uh, group. It's almost like, um, imagine you, know, you were mentioning the idea of the storyteller. It's, it's almost like the storyteller is sitting by the fireplace after Thanksgiving dinner, and he's sitting there ready to crack open his book and tell a story, and the kids are running all over the house playing and stuff, and he has to yell out to them, kids, come here, come here, come here. That's kind of what Donald Trump was doing over the beginning of this race, was calling out to the country, come here, come here, I've got a story to tell you. But then when the kids gather around him in front of the fireplace, he doesn't yell anymore, he speaks in hushed tones so they can hear him, and he tells a story. And I think that's the transition that we're seeing in Donald Trump in this race now. He called everybody to his attention. He's got everybody's attention. They're gathered around him in the fireplace. And now he's going to start speaking to them in normal tones. And I think the Democrats are scared to death of this. Uh, Robbie Mook, uh, which is one of the most unfortunate names in the history of politics, uh, uh, you know, came out when, the other when day. When I first read your tweets on that, I thought it was a nickname. I'm like, that that can't really be. Mook. No, no way. Yeah, Robbie Mook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. well, kudos to him for keeping it. That shows a, a set of castanets not to be uh, under underestimated. But go ahead. Well, I referred to him and Hillary today as uh, Mook and Wendy uh, because Hillary's always out of wind and his name is Mook. So, But anyway, uh, Mook came on the TV the other day after Donald Trump has given all these substantive speeches about helping Americans live a better life. And he comes on there and says, all Donald Trump has is conspiracy theories. He never says anything about helping regular Americans. And I'm like, you know, we're going to have to do a GoFundMe page and buy this man a TV set because clearly he has not been watching the news lately because Donald Trump is out there giving speech after speech about helping regular American people. And when he comes on there and says he never talks about helping regular American people, the folks listen to that and they're like, I don't know, that doesn't seem to make much sense to me. And so he loses well, credibility. Uh, well, but but here's the thing, Bill. I, I would say that from the lefty perspective, helping means taking money from other people and giving it to you. That That's what they mean by helping. Right. So the fact that Donald Trump is talking about uh, breaking down the barriers for opportunity. Right. That is, that that doesn't. That, that, how is that helping? Helping is giving people uh, money uh, to to not do whatever the people who are making money are doing. That's what Democrats mean by helping. So the fact that he's not talking about massive income redistribution means that he's not right. talking about helping. And that's how corrupted the and divided the language has been. You know, there used to be a word called charity, which which was I'll help you, but you better shape up. I'll help you, but we're going to do everything we can to have me not help you uh, as quickly as humanly possible. Uh, that of course has been replaced by welfare, uh, which is uh, the, you know the permanent drip drip of keep you in an under class and, and raise your motivation to vote for bigger government so that I can promise you stuff that I never have to uh, pay for uh, in the here and now. So I think that's had a huge uh, effect on, on you know, because, you know, when, when people talk about, uh, you know, we need less income redistribution, people think, well, you just want to hurt the poor or you want to because the only way to help the poor, apparently, is to steal from the unborn, uh, sell off the ghosts of, of people yet yeah. to come to foreign banksters for money, uh, get into massive unsustainable debt, uh, raise regulations to the point where the economy gets crippled, have terrible schools in poor neighborhoods and keep them dependent on welfare. Apparently, that's just become helping people and Donald Trump's approach, which is to say, if we get barriers out of the way to opportunity, then uh, people, we don't, they don't need help because they can actually help themselves. Yeah. You know, I heard a great analogy once uh, that someone uh, asked, you know, what is the definition of hell? And the response was, well, name your favorite dessert. And they said, well, chocolate cake. Well, hell would, hell would be eating nothing but chocolate cake for eternity. 
You know, you get so damn sick of chocolate cake. And dependence on government programs is a lot like eating chocolate cake for eternity. And the first couple bites taste good, but when you have it all day, every day, it really gets old fast. And I think that this is this is what uh, Donald Trump is offering. He's offering an opportunity to get away from the humdrum and the boring and the lack of fulfillment of being on government dependence and being uh, uh, being um, successful on your own and rising up on your own and supporting your own family. And if Donald Trump can get people to the point where they begin to believe in themselves again, this is going to be off to the races. Let's talk about one last thing, which is, I guess, particularly personal to you and I, Bill, which is um, there was alternative media. I was doing videos uh, back in 2012. I first joined YouTube and started doing videos in 2006. Uh, YouTuber number four. I don't know what. That's amazing. That's amazing. That was that was like with your 2.4 K modem or something like that. I mean, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. The 2400 bore modem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, still dialing. Wait, I'm <laughs> typing it. It only takes a second to show up. But, it only um, took three hours to download a two megabyte file. I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the the alternative media, though, is vaster now uh, and, and more powerful now than I think, uh, certainly combined than any of the individual large yeah, networks. And I think uh, even particularly big uh, channels and big uh, people who have a big effect, you know, people like uh, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos and Mike Cernovich and Chelsea yeah. Johnson and other people like that. They're really changing the narrative. And and for those who yeah. are watching these dominoes fall, it's fascinating, right? I mean, um, uh, people like Mike Cernovich uh, helped uh, or you could say forced the hand of the media to start addressing Hillary's health. Uh, now we're talking about health records. Uh, uh, when the soundbite that CNN edited to make it look like um, uh, this uh, woman in Milwaukee was uh, calling for peace when she was basically calling for the transfer of violence to suburban neighborhoods, CNN actually apologized for editing that after it was outed. And how long did it take for them to do that with George Zimmerman's edited uh, 911 call? Uh, there was talk about uh, this big guy who was uh, Hillary's, I don't know, handler or something. Uh, he was talked about a lot. Boom. He's gone, right? People start talking about Hillary needing to prop herself up, and then she's standing. Like, there's this relationship between the alternative media, which is, I don't know what, what's better to call it. It's sort of becoming the mainstream to some degree. There's this yeah. relationship between politics and the alternative media that is such a wild card in this election and which seems to be dominated by the new counterculture, which is, um, you know, more free markets, uh, more limited government. That used to be considered conservative mainstream. Now we're, a lot of the sort of grassroots Republicans are trying to remind the Republican Party of the original ideals of smaller government and racial egalitarianism and all that kind of good stuff. The alternative media lining up behind that, which I think it does quite a bit, just looking at the followers of the people on the left and the, their influence versus the people on the right, that is a huge wrecking ball to the existing structures, the power structures, particularly the media structures. That's really hard for people in the media to understand just how big it's it's become. They're sort of in this uh, ping pong ball and they just see shadows outside, like this sort of platonic cave situation. They don't go out and see how big it is, maybe because they're alarmed. But that's a huge factor in this election that uh, people are underestimating, I think, quite a bit. It is. You know, alternative media, like what you and I do, uh, is the equivalent of the gasoline engine versus the horse and buggy. I mean, the horse and buggy being the media. We're just replacing them because we're a better medium. And people say that social media killed uh, regular traditional media. Not exactly. Uh, uh, High-speed Internet killed regular media because social media was limited in its effectiveness as long as uh, it took. It was inconvenient. 
But now you can turn on, you can stream video. You can stream this video that you're watching right now as fast as you can turn on your TV set. And with this, you can pick and choose your content, okay? So it's much more targeted. So with uh, the expansion of social media, the expansion of uh, high-speed internet, even on phones, I mean, you have this new, I think, uh, uh, the new uh, uh, five-level, um, you know, streaming is going to come over on the phones. I mean, you'll almost be able to download stuff over your phone faster than you can over your, you know, cable at home. So it's it's just a tremendous opportunity for us. And uh, Mike Cernovich was on my show the other night, and he said, you know, uh, I think that people want news now. You know, they want current, on-the-spot news. And that's what they loved about his Periscope work at the conventions where they weren't getting all the filtered stuff it's like this is what's happening folks you figure out what it means right well let's hope that uh, uh, this direct connection to the audience and offering the audience trusted voices that uh, where where values and interests coincide you know you flip on the tv you're in somebody else's matrix you're in somebody else's narrative right and maybe you agree with them and maybe you don't and it seems like uh, even the traditional relationship between uh, republican uh, voters or republicans and fox news seems to be uh, drifting a little bit, uh, but you can yeah. find people that you trust, True. people who've earned your trust. You can tune into them and you can get a coincidence of wants and needs that uh, is really, uh, really powerful. So thanks so much to, for the time uh, today, Bill. Uh, just really wanted sure. to remind people, go check out Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com and look for Your Voice. That's one word, Your Voice Radio. And again, right. follow Bill, twitter.com slash Mitchell the Seventh. Uh, and uh, you can, of course, go to yourvoiceradio.com to get more of Bill's work. Thanks. Always Very a great good. pleasure. I hope we can do it again Thank soon. you. Thank you. Absolutely. Talk to you later. Okay. Take bye. Care.